It is really good to be here with you today. I'm Pastor John Allen. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm uh, the new guy. I, where's Rachel? Where, where'd Rachel go? She's helping in there. Well, you can tell her I said this. I was feeling really good about myself this morning. I'm, I'm sitting over here and I'm watching all the people gather and file in and the place filling up. And I'm thinking, all these people came here to hear me preach. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling really good about myself. I'm, and then Rachel said that we had a free lunch after. <laughs> and I thought, these people aren't here to, they're there for the free food. Babes, for goodness sakes. And God put me right back down where I needed to be. The story's told about a... Uh, uh, a ship that was making its way across a foggy, foggy night. And off in the distance, the skipper of the ship saw a light. And so he had his singleman uh, give this message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. In just a few seconds, there was a reply. A signal came in, alter your course 10 degrees north. Furious now, the skipper said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a captain. Immediately came back a reply. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman seaman third class Jones. Now, this was a little too much for the captain. He was pretty confident. And so he signaled again, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. I mean, there wasn't really a ship uh, that could stand up to a battleship. He had no worries whatsoever until the next signal came through. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. There are times in our lives when we need to remember who we are and alter our course accordingly. To remember who we are and really to remember whose we are. And so the question I want to deal with this morning is, do we know who we are? Do we understand our human condition. And who will we follow in order to know which course to take? As we look at this morning, I look at this this morning, I'm going to deal with a passage from Romans and then look at how the disciples interacted with Jesus at a very critical point after the resurrection that maybe we can get insight for our own lives in the course that we might take. Let's pray. 
Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Hide me behind the cross, O God, that these words would be your words. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. In the book of Romans, Paul outlines this new life in Christ. In chapters 1 through 4, he basically you know, gives us this long, drawn-out uh, 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 discourse on why we need Jesus. What is our human condition and why we need Jesus. Then in chapters 5 and 6, he talks about the, the formula for this new life. And then he moves into our community life together and how that is to be ordered. It's, it's a really technical book. And I I've oftentimes find it uh, both uh, difficult to understand and challenging and really inspiring. In some ways, what I like to do with the book of Romans is, is move backwards in some of the passages. And it helps me to fully understand what Paul is trying to tell us. Let me start out by giving you a context for Paul's words. Every other religion puts the emphasis on human behavior. Every other religion puts the emphasis on human behavior. It starts with, are we good enough? Are we following a set of laws? It is about justifying oneself by our actions. Every other religion and Christianity gets the, the reputation and the, and the blame of being judgmental at times, but at our core, we are not. We are about acceptance and grace, forgiveness and love. It is all the other religions that seek to justify themselves and in, and, and in worst case, to be self-righteous. But with Jesus, there is a new way. The focus now is on what God is doing. What God is doing. Not what we're doing. The love, grace, and mercy of God in God's sacrifice for us. Paul's argument is technical. But it is clear. After chapters 1 through 4 comes, in my opinion, the most powerful verse uh, that, that in all of Paul's writings. It's Romans 5, 6. Let's look at it. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still weak. In order to find our way, our direction, our course, so to speak, we've got to admit who we are. And ultimately, we are imperfect, weak, um, damaged human beings. I had a, had a roommate in seminary, Dallas Culver, and... Uh, in, in, one, in our New Testament class, we were, we were dealing with the passage that said, God used the foolish to confound the wise. 
And after class, Dallas looked at me and said, how, how do you feel about that? I mean, does that mean that we're fools? And I said, you know, Dallas, I think in some way or another we're all fools. Because we think we can go it on our own so much of the time. To admit that we are weak, to admit that we are flawed, to admit that we are broken is to admit our need, our need for God. 2nd part of that verse is at the right time. Now, oftentimes we look at this part of, the, of verse 6 and and, and the uh, assumption is that at the right time, that there was a, that time when Jesus was crucified and resurrected in Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago, that that was the right time. And that's what Paul is referring to. The, the problem is, is that that's not what the Greek says. The, the word for time in Greek, there's two different words. One is chronos. Uh, from which we get our word measured time. And then there is kairos, which is God's time. Cannot be measured. It is, uh, it is more of a value statement that God's time is good time. God's time is rich time. God's time is, is that time which cannot be counted. It is fulfilling. The word here for time is a derivative of chronos, it's chronov. And a more literal translation of this would be because of who God is. For while we were still weak, because of who God is, Christ died for us. We open ourselves to what God can do in us by submitting to what God can do because of who God is. That's whose we are, God's. The implication is to rely on the God who loves us and died for us. The final part of this passage is that Christ died for the ungodly. But when we go on to verse 8 we see it stated a little different. But God proves God's love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we became a good person. Not after we were willing to accept the way of God in our lives. But while we were sinners. Now, Sinner is, in in my opinion, and sin is one of the most misunderstood words in the Christian faith. We often define sin as a moral and ethical imperative. And in some ways it is. There are certainly, uh, you know, Jesus says, I came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. Paul said, I certainly don't uh, do away with the law, but it is not the law which saves us. 
So both Jesus and Paul see the law as something that is good for us, but it does not solve our human problem. For sin is literally a separation from God. A separation that we cannot bridge on our own. A separation that there's nothing we can do. There's no, <laughs> there's no uh, fullness of good works that we can accomplish. It is only by the grace of Jesus Christ and by his death on the cross that that gap can be bridged. That is the power of the cross. The definition of sin is not that we're a bad person. There are a lot of good people that are still separated from God. Sin is separation. I, I started on this slide to put a picture of me up there. <laughs> that you might see that, and I could tell you some stories. I'm broken. And it is only by the grace and power of Jesus Christ that I stand before you. And only by his love and his acceptance and his restoration that I can even with the smallest amount of confidence pretend to speak the gospel to you today. Now, we're going to scoop back up. Like I said, sometimes it's easier to kind of skip around in Romans to get an understanding of what, what Paul is trying to say. Is. So when we skip back to verse 1, which is before the passage that Chiv read for you, here is the connection. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith. This theme occurs in all of Paul's writings. Faith is the connection, not our good works, not our, not our righteousness, but our faith and belief and our confidence in what Jesus Christ can do for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here is the deal, and I want you to hear this. This is not a once and for all solution, you know. It's not, okay, come down to the altar. Hey, Jesus, forgive me. I'm, I'm going to turn around from what I'm doing. Um, no, uh-uh. We're still human beings. We're still in lead in a daily basis of God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's connection in our lives. Because to have faith in Jesus Christ does connect us to salvation. But it's a process. John Wesley, in his writings, talks about this process as sanctification. And I know that some of you, you're, I'm preaching to the choir here, and you've heard this over again, over and over again. I know, because I, I know Doug, Doug Miller's been your pastor, and I'm sure that Doug has, has, has shared with you the, the necessity and the power of sanctification. It is a process of change and course correction. Two steps forward, sometimes one step back, but always moving forward in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a process of 
being human and weak and, and broken and finding fulfillment and power in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a process of thinking that we can do it on our own and taking a hold of life and saying, I don't, I not only don't need others, I don't need God. And finding ourselves in pieces. In the Gospel of John, at the end of John's Gospel, it's almost as if after chapter 20 that the Gospel is over. Um, But 21 is an additional story. It is the third of John's resurrection uh, stories in his gospel. What happens is that the disciples ran from Jesus. Peter, from when he was arrested, Peter denies him. Then they experience the resurrection. And now they're in Galilee back fishing. And I, and I love this story because this is a picture of my life and my faith. Because when it gets tough, I just really go back to what I know best. Now, for the disciples, it was fishing. I don't know what you know best, but you know that it's easy to kind of go back to those old patterns because they're comfortable. We can control them, but they are empty. So why did the disciples change their course? I don't know. Their eyes should have been on Jesus. He had shown them his resurrection. What's going on here? Were they afraid? Was the discouragement too much for them to handle? Were they, did they think Jesus was done? Okay, raised from the dead. Some scholars say that it was a lack of the fulfilling of the Holy Spirit. That Pentecost had not yet come. Whether we see them as discouraged, confused, afraid, guilty, threatened by, by, by the enemies of, of Jesus, whether they saw themselves inadequate or spiritually in need, it is a picture of all of us at one time or another. We all get there. And it's not a lack of faith. I want to be clear about that. It is not a lack of faith. It is what it means to be human. So we go back to what we know best, asking the question, can Jesus really do what he says? Can he really use this illness, this challenge, this problem, this doubt? No. We say, but Jesus, it's the familiar that I know best. Just let me, let me be who I am. Have you heard that before in our culture? Just let me be who I am. But see, Christ is calling us to be so much more. To be above and beyond 
what, what, what society expects from us to be what God has made us to be. But anyway, I digress. Fishing they knew. They went to go back to fish. You know, fishing is rather simple. You cast the nets, you pull them in, you empty them out, repeat. You cast the nets, you empty them out, you throw, you repeat. It's over and over again. What John tells us is that on this night, they were casting the nets, pulling them in. There was nothing there. Repeat. They cast the nets. They pulled them in. Nothing there. Repeat. It was early in the morning when they heard a voice from the shore. Cast your nets on the other side. A familiar voice. A voice from months before when they had been fishermen. And the voice had said, cast your nets on the other side on that day when they had fished all night and caught nothing. Whether they were sleepy or tired or desperate, they cast their nets on the other side and they caught more than they could handle. It is the Lord. They drugged the boat to the shore. A couple of them got into the water to wade ashore. It is Jesus. You see, Jesus had not given up on them. Jesus had not given up on them. Yeah, they'd gone back to their old life, but Jesus wasn't going to let them. Jesus is not giving up on us. Jesus is not giving up on you. John tells us that it's after supper, I mean after breakfast, that he, Jesus has a conversation with Peter. Remember Peter? Denying Jesus three times? You're one of them. No, no, no. You're one of the Galileans. No, no, no. Can you imagine Peter's guilt, his regret, his sorrow? Now face to face with his Lord, and here come the words. Peter, do you love me? Uh, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And again, a second time. Peter, do you love me? (laughs) Yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know what they're both thinking. They're both thinking of that night in the garden. And then a third time. To match the three denials come the three affirmations. Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't know what Jesus is referring to. Whether he was referring to the fish or the boats or his friends or whether he had, you know, made a broad gesture more than... More than, than lie. We don't know. What we do know is that Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. There is a light out there on the horizon. There's a light out there on the horizon for this church and for all of our lives. 
The question is, <laughs> what does the light represent? Is it demanding for us a course correction? Or is it demanding for us a continuation of our direction? Whatever. When we know who we are and our need for God and Jesus Christ, when we understand whose we are, created by God, for more than this life. We'll know. We will know. And the question will be, do you love me more than these? Then feed my lambs. Lord God, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And I just praise you, O God, for your sacrifice on the cross. And pray this day for any person in this room that has questions about you and about faith and about what it means that you would send them just the right person at just the right time to bring just the right message. And remind us, oh God, that (laughs) that this thing we call faith is not about our action. It's about putting our life in your hands and depending on you for all things. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.